0: please take your bibles and turn with me to the book of first peter first peter chapter 5 first peter chapter 5 beginning in verse 6 down through verse 11 first peter chapter 5 beginning in verse 6 and as we read just consider the undeserved favor of this gift that we would have the very Word of God so that we can know Him and know His ways and hunger for His ways, as we just sang. First Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, this is the Word of God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith forever and ever. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me now? Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do have, indeed, dominion over all things. We acknowledge your Lordship. We acknowledge that you are the mighty God. Holy Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came, who lived, who died, who rose from the dead, who ascended into heaven, who is interceding for the saints right now at this moment, who is coming again to judge the living and the dead. We thank you for such an undeserved gift. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, who comes and attends us even now, even as we Sing your praises, even as we consider your word. The same Spirit who inspired the very scriptures and the authors who wrote the scriptures. We, we thank you for this Spirit, that we have this Spirit to open our eyes, to understand, to know you, to know your ways. We pray that your Spirit would stir in us a hunger for your ways this morning. And Heavenly Father, as we come to you as our hiding place, as we have just read earlier as Gavin put read us had us go through Psalm 32. We come to you for refuge, refuge in a world that is fallen, a world of sin and darkness, a world of trial and sadness. Lord, we come with our laments, even as there are many in this church who have lament toward you that they are they are burdened by the fallenness of creation. By the fact that there is illness, there is suffering, there is toil and trial in their lives, there is breakups in relationships, there is strife among neighbors, there is all this conflict, all of this sin and wickedness that, that seems to overwhelm us, and yet we thank you that you are the God who is over all, in dominion over it all, and we can trust you, and we can appeal to you. We can appeal to the highest court there is. And we can ask for you to act. We can ask for you to intercede, to interject, to change, to bring hope when we feel hopeless. Holy Father, we thank you for the gift even of the church, the bride of Jesus Christ, And we pray that you would continue to cause churches to flourish and grow. We thank you for your work in this church as there are so many encouraging things going on that we can only attribute to your grace and mercy. We pray especially for the churches in the United Kingdom, even as they consider the testimony of the late queen one who testified to a faith in Jesus Christ, and we pray that even that testimony would be stirring to many in that, in that region, that they would be stirred, people would be stirred to consider, whether for the first time or to consider once again, whether or not they have a true standing before God or whether they are being damned to go to hell. We pray that that decisive question would be put to their minds. We thank you for the opportunity, even for our church, to partner with churches in the UK as Pastor Gavin prepares to go and do ministry in the UK. We pray for Amy and Park Church and the many evangelistic meetings that Pastor Gavin will have. We pray that they would bear much fruit, especially at this time when people are thinking about life and death, heaven and hell, and this Queen's testimony. Lord, we pray even in our own church. We pray that the gospel will go forth in this city. We pray that there are many whose hearts will be prepared even now to receive Your Word and that they would receive it with gladness, turning in repentance from their sins and calling on the name of the Lord. Lord, we, we, we ask that, that you would show us great mercy and give us strength even from this gathering, this meeting of worship to you so that we would be prepared to be light in the darkness, salt and light, that we would bear faithful testimony in a crooked and perverse generation. Lord, we ask that you would come and help us even as we are engaged in this truly holy war, one whose victory is assured even by the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ, your own dear Son. So now, as we hear from your Word, we pray you would teach us and guide us, and cause us then to be extra vigilant as we learn from your Word, learning even from your own mouth. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I have to confess as I begin Psalm 32 and the thought of the Lord as our hiding place and then as we were singing Holy, Holy, Holy and singing about God being merciful and mighty and I was reminded of the story in Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan's great allegory in pilgrim's progress when christian has this encounter with his former lord with apollyon who is the devil and he has this encounter with him and apollyon is accusing him saying you're you're a rebellious citizen you you you're leaving the city of destruction i'm your lord you need to return to the city of destruction And Christian says to him, your wages are the kind that a man can't live on. You can't live on the wages that Satan pays. And and this is the thing. this This is the problem in the world. Is they're trying to live on the wages that Satan pays. And you can't live on them. You can only die on them. The wages of sin is... Death. How different then the mercy of God, who is Almighty, as we've just been singing. His great, deep mercy to us, and such generosity overflowing in grace. Well, this morning, we're going to speak of the devil, and uh, that might be off putting. In conservative churches in Canada, I think there's a bit of a folk belief that says, if you speak of the devil, then, how does it go? Speak of the devil and he will appear. Uh, And so then the result is, then, we don't talk about him. (laughs) We we don't want to talk about the devil. So outside of, I'd say, Pentecostal churches in Canada, the, the devil is mentioned very infrequently, we talk about him so little that you might think there is no devil to worry about. Maybe you think that the devil was only a combatant with Jesus, you know, back in the olden days. You might even think that the devil was maybe a, a literary projection of cultural fears. That's what you might get over at University of Calgary. You know, you're putting it onto a personified being. You know, it's all, all kind of man's device to, to cope with things. You might think that now a more scientific view of life knows that there is no real personal devil. But of course, that's all wrong. That's all wrong. And as C.S. Lewis wrote about in his remarkable, another little story, his screw tape letters, many of you maybe have read it, it's a series of letters written from uh, uh, an elder demon to his younger apprentice demon. And you think, well, why would a Christian want to read such an awful thing? Uh, but the idea is then learning by what these guys, how these guys think. You can see actually where the temptations come from. And in Screwtape Letters, Lewis has Screwtape say this to his young apprentice. He says, quote, he says, it is funny how mortals always picture us that is the demons mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds in reality our best work is done by keeping things out and that's the truth even Dietrich Bonhoeffer said famously in the midst of lust God seems very unreal put out of your mind that's when you're engaged in sin of course, on the other hand, if you're from a Pentecostal background, then you'll likely have found that the devil was mentioned very frequently. The devil seems to be present everywhere and at every time. The devil seems to have this sovereign power so that the devil must be placated and, and constantly attended to. And you, even in that case, People's lives, then they would, their lives get reoriented around the devil and how to avoid the devil's wrath. And you see people then, very religious, but they are so concerned with what the devil is doing, and that's also wrong. The most concise statement in the Bible, I think, explaining who the devil is, comes in our verse, in verse 8. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now in this holy war that we're engaged in, and that's the sermon series, we have to be clear about who our opponent is. Who is this adversary? And we want to know our enemy well. We want to know him well enough so that then we'll be focused will be effective then in the fight of faith. That's why when the Apostle Peter, when he's writing then to these struggling Christians in the first century, in 1 Peter, as well as it's written to struggling Christians in the 21st century, he says to them then in verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. And so that's what we want to be. We want to be more steady in these turbulent times. Haven't you been thrown off balance in the last two years? I know I have. We want to be more steady. We want to be ever watchful for what the adversary, Satan, the serpent, the dragon, the evil one, the devil, what he may do. We want to have our eyes open to that. So that's what we're going to see first. We're going to look at the devil, you know. Secondly, we'll look at that phrase, the devil made me do it. And thirdly, we'll see that the works of the devil are destroyed. And another way of seeing this is maybe discovering who the devil is in Scripture, what Satan does to us, and how Jesus defeats the devil. And we'll just... We're going to try to make an attempt at this. This is a vast subject, but we'll see what we can do. But first off then, just to consider to the devil you know, you've heard that saying, I hope, you, I think, you, you. know. do you want the devil you know or the devil you don't know? Generally, when I hear that saying, it's to do with Alberta politics. Do you want the devil you know or the devil you don't know? I'll leave that up to you to populate who that's referring to. See, peop, the devil that people think that they know is kind of like this. It's kind of this folk devil. You know, like I, like I said, like sometimes people think, oh, well, it's, it's just something that we can put into the category of psychology and people are projecting fears onto some, some figure. Or the use of the term devil or Satan or Satanic, it's generally just anything that's generally a pejorative. Something that you want to use, you want to use that term to say something is really, really bad. It's probably like calling someone a Nazi. Nobody really knows actually hardly what that Nazis actually believed and what they did. But you just say, oh, he's a Nazi or he's Hitler and that's, that just means he's like, like Satan. Other cultures, many cultures, they'll view the Satan or the devil as an equal power with with God in their view. He's a God to be placated and to be paid off. And so, so for some, they think that's that's the devil they know, but actually it's the devil they don't know. The devil we know is actually the one that God tells us about. That's who we need to know. And God tells us then in verse 8 that he is your adversary. He is your adversary. So that's, we have to be clear about that. This is someone who is your enemy. He's attacking you. And especially, and I think this is, this is really important, he is attacking you in the courts. Not in our, necessarily in our, our courts, but in, in, as it were, the courtroom of God. That's where he's attacking you, in those courts. And that's the sense of the Greek word antidikos. Antidikos. Even, even the, the root of dikos has the sense of justice or justification. This, in this sense, the adversary is the anti justifier. He is going at you in court, and he is the anti-justifier. The adversary is someone who is going to make an accusation against you in front of the judge. Have you ever been sued? I'm sure there's people in here, there's a big enough crowd, there's people have been sued. I've been sued. It's like very unpleasant. You know... I know, you know, I, I, someone I know who is being sued. Another guy said, oh, I, I heard you're getting sued. You know, it's, oh, that's, that's too bad. You know, it's like it, it's, it's lamentable that you're in the courts. And, and, and what is it? Why, why is it so bad? Well, it's because you're being attacked. Now, imagine if there is someone who is running an ongoing prosecution against you. But not just in Court of Queen's Bench. An ongoing prosec- prosecution against you before God, before the highest being, before God Himself. Imagine that. Well, then they would be your anti adversary, your anti-justifier adversary. And, and I, we need to see this because we must understand the kind of battle that we are in. It's a court battle. God is the judge, but Satan is going to keep coming into court and coming up with lies to direct against you. That's what he's doing. So, for example, in the Old Testament, in Zechariah's prophecy about Joshua the high priest, he said that Satan was at the right hand of the angel of the Lord to accuse Joshua. That's what Satan does. He's an accuser. In Revelation 12 and verse 10, John, describing the victory of God and his Christ, he concludes, he says this, "...for the accuser of our brothers..." That's who he is. "...the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God." So day and night, Satan is accusing you before God. That's what he does. This is the war. Like, it, because it's really easy to get into some kind of folk religion talking about Satan, you have to understand, it is a courtroom battle. This is the war. It is a war of disinformation, a war of lies about you being spoken before God. But, if you believe in Jesus Christ, which I hope every soul in this room would do, if you believe in Jesus Christ, believe that he actually suffered the lies and he suffered the sins of men against him and bore those sins. in order He did all that in order then, to render, if you believe in Him, render you innocent and righteous before God. You know, that's what it means to be declared righteous before God. It's to be declared innocent. Not merely not guilty, but to be declared innocent with the innocence of Jesus Christ. You're viewed as righteous as Jesus is before God if you believe in Him. So that's why then we can say, and we say it often here, almost every service, we'll, we'll mention what Paul says in Romans 8.1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That no condemnation is a part of understanding the satanic court battle that he has been lobbing all of these accusations and lies condemning you. It is not just the condemnation of God, although that is true and just and that is canceled, but it is also the condemnation that comes from Satan. There is no condemnation before God if you're in Christ Jesus. Because God has already rendered his verdict on you in Christ if you believe in him. That is the good news. That's the key, is believing. In Christ. But who is this devil that we know? Well, Peter says he's saying he's this 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 adversary, this courtroom enemy. But he says he's also a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. It's interesting in Psalm 22, David prays to be delivered from the power of the sword the power of the dog the lion as well noting that god has saved him from the horns of the wild bulls so these are these are these then these pictures that david offers that peter he's saying yeah that's what that's what satan's like he is like that roaring lion but notice notice the adjective he's he's not a sleeping lion you know like you see it you know, whenever they have them at the zoo, they're always asleep when you go there, right? They never, you never. Where are they? Oh, they're back in some shed behind there, sleeping. We came all this way. We lined up, and you know, anyways, Maybe that's just my experience. Anyways, so I don't go to the zoo anymore. No, I should, I guess. Um, no, he's not a sleeping lion. He's a roaring lion. But why does he roar? Got to think about it. why is he roaring. He roars like, like any predator. He roars to instill fear. That's what he's doing. He's not doing it just to hear the sound of his own voice. He's roaring to instill fear. He is a predator. And like all predators, they want to flush you out. They want to get you alarmed. Predators like Satan want to see your fear. They want to see that you are afraid of them and afraid of what could happen. Satan wants to create panic. That's what he wants to do to you. He wants to create confusion. And that's what his roar does. It creates confusion and panic and fear. You know, Peter knew this. Remember when Jesus said to Peter back in Mark chapter 8, verse 33, you know, Jesus had said famously, get behind me, Satan, said it to Peter. Well, get behind me, Satan. How can he say that? Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Well, you've got to ask yourself, well, why, why would Jesus speak so strongly to Peter and use that dramatic kind of language? What had happened? Well, in the context in Mark chapter 8, Peter had actually rebuked Jesus. Peter rebuking Jesus. Peter had become so afraid of what Jesus was saying that Peter was rebuking the Son of God. Jesus, of course, had spoken the gospel to them. He said that he was going to die and then rise from the dead on the third day. And when he said that, Peter panicked. He panicked. This is not how this Messiah deal is supposed to go down. This can't happen like this. Oh no, no, this this is going to ruin everything. And he panics. Peter was alarmed. He was alarmed. And Peter, then he he jumped up and he starts running around like a chicken with his head cut off. You see, Peter, I believe, he had heard the roar of the lion. The lion's roaring, saying, "Uh uh-oh, look here, Jesus, he's not doing what you think he should be doing. Peter heard the roar of the lion and it wasn't the lion of the tribe of Judah. It wasn't that lion. Peter wasn't focused On the Lord. Peter was afraid that all of the securities of his life would crash. And his insecurity and his panic and and his anxiety. all, All of that, in the midst of all of that, it just starts swirling there. And then he did the dumbest thing possible. He accused Jesus. He accused Jesus. He's rebuking Jesus, saying, no, you are wrong. And of course, if he's accusing Jesus, who's he acting like? He's acting like Satan, the accuser, the adversary. And that's why Jesus was precisely correct when he said, get behind me, Satan. Satan, the accuser. What's the sound then that this lion, Satan, the devil, what's what's the sound that the lion makes when it roars? Well, it's not a growl in this analogy, but it is a steady stream of lies. It's just lie after lie after lie. Peter had heard the roar of the lion, and he had nearly been, dra- been devoured. Because that is what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to devour you. He wants to devour you. in The sense in 1 Peter 5.8, the sense of the word devour, is that he wants to swallow you in one gulp. That's what he wants. He's not just nibbling at the edges. He wants to swallow you. He wants all of you. And Peter was almost swallowed up whole. Now sadly, many people who don't fear the Lord, they get frightened by Satan's accusations and they believe the lies and they forsake the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can, we can call them apostates. We can call them a Judas branch. We can call them, what's the lingo now? Deconverted. But they've actually been swallowed up by Satan. That's what's happened. Now in the last year, I've been, I've been witness to many people in our church outside of our church, near, far away, who have been seriously affected by the roar of the lion. They have have been seriously affected by the accusations of the adversary. And what's happened is that people have thought they were fighting one enemy. Last two years, everybody's fighting, right? Fighting somebody. We've, we've, we thought we were fighting one enemy, and so I can go through the list. Fighting other Christians, fighting church leadership, fighting the government, fighting society, fighting the virus. When in actual fact, the enemy all along has been Satan. He's the adversary. And I've seen as a result of not understanding who the enemy is and getting distracted into other fights, I have seen many people get literally swallowed up by Satan in this last while. At the same time, speak of the mercy of God, I I can stand and testify with great joy that many Many, many people who were initially frightened, frightened by the roar of the lion, frightened by all this distraction. They've redirected their attention to God, and they fear God, and they have been delivered from a season of really being sifted like wheat. You remember, of course, Jesus had said that. To Peter in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prays then for the true believer that their faith might not fail. And, and they will repent. And they will turn again. And when they do, that person fears God rightly. And, and they are, they're not distracted then by the predator's roar. They're not distracted by the adversary's lies. They're, they're not distracted by the enemy's accusations. Instead, they are able then, like Peter... To go and strengthen others. It's a remarkable thing what God does. Contrast this with what happened to Judas. Remember how the chief priests and scribes were seeking a way to put Jesus to death because they feared the people? And again, in Luke 22, verse 3, we're told, Then then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. You know, never ever think that just because circumstances have seemed to change to the positive that they are necessarily righteous. Satan roared, Judas was flushed out of the bushes. He was flushed out and Judas ran right into the trap that Satan had laid. He ran right into Satan's open jaws to be swallowed whole. How many times, sadly, how many times have I seen people who refuse to repent of their sin... And then they find, they find that the circumstances in their life seem to improve for a while. This is what happens. And and they are almost a little bit surprised by it. They get new friends, they get new hobbies. Oh, church, now I got all this time on Sunday now. They get new perspectives. And all the while, they are being accelerated further and further and further into Satan's mouth. Swallowed whole. This is why it's so important to be a part of a loving local church that cares for one another. So you got some good loving friends to say, Stop! You're going to get swallowed up. We love you too much to let you get swallowed here. Contrast Peter and Judas with Jesus himself. It's always a good practice when you're worried about things to to consider that Jesus, in the language of Hebrews 4.15, Jesus has in every respect been tempted as we are yet without sin. You, You have then a sympathetic high priest in Jesus Christ. It's always good to look to him. In the Gospels and we, I'm just choosing Luke chapter 4, we're told that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they're ended, he was hungry. Now, you know, you know how it goes with, with Jesus facing these temptations, this testing from Satan. During the temptation, Satan, this adversarial court accuser, was going to prosecute Jesus when he thought Jesus was at his weakest. And the way that Satan went after Jesus was by attacking Jesus' humanity, his authority, and his relationship to God, even his sentness from the Father. And so, you know, Satan, he's accusing, he's, he's coming at Jesus with a line of questioning. He says, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. You know, he, he challenges Jesus' authority. He says, verse 7 Luke 4, If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Speaking of the, all the kingdoms of the world, which are under Satan's authority. Or even in terms of Jesus' relationship to God. Satan says, if you are the Son of God. That's in doubt. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. That's the pinnacle of the temple. For it is written, and then, Je- then you got Satan quoting Scripture. He will command his angels to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You see, Satan... He wanted Jesus to exploit God. He wanted to get Jesus to obey Satan in putting God to the test. That's that's, That's how that adversary works. And what did Jesus do in answering Satan at every point? He answered with the word of God. He answered from the book of Deuteronomy. And Jesus said finally in verse 12 of Luke 4, And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Until an opportune time. You see, Satan accused. Satan lied. Satan roared. But Satan could not swallow the Lord Jesus Christ. His mouth isn't big enough. See Satan failed with this last Adam using all the tactics that he had used successfully on the first Adam. Attacking Adam's humanity, his authority, attacking his relationship to God, and because of that in my view Satan swallowed up Adam whole. It's interesting. You know, we know that Adam fell in the garden in Genesis 3. After Genesis 3, Adam is not spoken of positively in the rest of the Bible. But thanks be to God then that he has given us the last Adam. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, who is our intercessor, who has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And so you can look to Jesus then with confidence that he is a tested and true Savior, even in the face of the devil that we know. So that's kind of giving us an introduction into who the devil is versus who he isn't. But secondly, I'm just going to touch this very briefly, touch this little list I'm going to give you, is that phrase, the devil made me do it. People, you know, they'll they'll try to give up their accountability and their culpability by saying the devil made me do it. Or at least that's kind of what people used to say. I don't think anybody really says that anymore. Or at least, not in Canada. I don't think there's too many people thinking, oh yeah, the devil made me do it. It's like, that's, that's more just a slogan. You know, they're not thinking, oh yeah, consciously, Satan, you know, he's the one that made this happen. You know, but, but the idea is when you say a phrase like that, oh, the devil made me do it, you're just trying to absolve yourself of culpability. Oh yeah, it's not my, I'm just a victim. I'm just a victim here. Devil made me do it. And so then we, we obviously, we look down on someone who might say that, oh, the devil made me do it. But, but although we need to see that we fight against a fallen world, we, we have our sin-oriented flesh, that flesh principle we learned about last week, we have to recognize Satan's activity. Satan wants to entice us to sin. He, he can't make us do anything. But he can make all the conditions favorable for us to sin And I'm just going to go through just a, a little quick list here in this second point, just a, a, a number of things that Satan does. Satan, for example, he fathers children. So in Acts 13:10, Paul can confront a false teacher and say, "Oh child of the devil, an enemy of all righteousness." Jesus could also confront those, even Jews, who thought they were in the covenant. They they actually belong to their father, the devil. He can father children. He also is one who seeks a foothold of opportunity. Ephesians 4.27 Do not give the devil a foothold, specifically in relation to your anger. Your anger. When your anger is stirred up, generally you are self-justifying. Right? When you're angry, you're, you're, it's, the, it's the drive of self-justification. Well, if I'm self-justifying, it's a pretty easy step to be involved in something where the anti-justifier is going to move me further and further away from being justified and a sense of being justified in Christ. Don't let him get a foothold of opportunity because he seeks that. He's looking for an opportunity, a foothold in your life. Certainly, he puts ideas into hearts. You know, again, Judas in John 13, 2, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas to to betray Jesus. He put it in the heart. So it's there. He's he's facilitating this thought of betrayal. So where do these ideas come from? Well, I'm, oh, it's not solicited, these ideas. Yeah, but he's, he's trying to put it in your mind. Certainly, Satan wants to inflate your pride. 1 Timothy 3.6 And the qualifications for an elder. He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. The devil wants everybody full of themselves. Certainly, this Satan... He leads, but where does he lead? He leads astray. He leads astray. And that's even how in Revelation 12, verse 9, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. People are really bothered right now by what they see as things going off the rails you got to realize it's not just by perpetual motion that it's going off the rails it is satan leading astray It's something i want to address in my next sermon about the the system the the system of sin in the world and how it is actually integrated with the work of demons under the rule of satan and we'll kind of look at that next time. I'm not really talking too much about demons in this in this message. Couple more. Uh, Satan can, again, we said, you know, he fathers children. He can possess people, people who aren't believers. They can be possessed. You, John eight forty four. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's. Desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. The Christian believer can't be possessed by the devil because they are possessed by whom? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit owns them, possesses them, and indwells them. They can't be possessed by Satan. But Satan is active, and he's going to make your life miserable in trying to attack you. Satan, another thing he does, he continually sins. (laughs) Obviously, right? That's an easy one. He continually sins. He he practices sins. He keeps on sinning. So 1 John 3, 8, the one who practices sin is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now, it's not just you're sinning. Satan has been sinning from the beginning. He's sinning all the way along. He has a practice of sinning. So when you're having a practice of sinning and you're forsaking the way of Christ, you're actually following, literally, the pattern, the practice, the habit of the devil. Of course, it doesn't need to be said at this point that that Satan tempts. But he also does things like he sows false believers in other words, non, non-Christians in the world and even in, the, in the, at least the visible church. We know from Matthew 13, 39 in the parable of the wheat and the tares. The, it is the enemy that sowed the tares. The one who sows them is the devil. And so you need then this harvest at the end of the ages to, to then basically thresh out what is the real fruit bearing seed versus all of the weeds that Satan himself has sown. In another parable, parable of the soils, you know, and for example, Mark 4 415, that some of the some of the seed that is sown on the path, well that's the word of God. And that is for people, then as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown among them. It's so sad when people come to a church like this or any Bible teaching church. They come for a little bit, they hear the word of God, they hear the gospel, and then, then the word is snatched away from them. And for often very dumb reasons, they're like, nah, I don't want to go back to that church. And then they don't go to church, or they go to a false teaching church, or, and the word is taken from them. And that's the work of Satan. One more, just to consider, like a lawyer, Satan is always scheming. Second 2 Corinthians 2:11. Paul warns us that we should not have Satan outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. He's scheming all the time. Again, we're not completely caught up in all of his schemes we want to look to the lord in terms of our focus of attention at the same time we are not ignorant of them we are not unaware of them so when you are pursuing the liberties that you think you have in christ you still have to be aware that satan has schemes to use something that you view as good and to entrap you with it to lead you into something wicked Point then here is that the devil is always busy. He is busy. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. Created being finite, limited, but he is busy. Thankfully, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Over in 1 John chapter three and verse eight, Jesus came to destroy. This is is a key thing to understand the holy war we're in. Not the one that we're not in. Not the one that people might want to project and think we're in. No, this is the holy war we're in. 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And when the devil was cast down from heaven, Revelation 12, 12, Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth, even as Satan has been cast down to earth. All of us who who dwell in them. Satan has gone down to us. He is filled with fury. Why? Because he knows his time is short. That's why he's busy. That's why he's hustling. Thankfully, we know that Satan's kingdom, all of his works, they have been at the cross. Jesus crushed the head of the serpent and what was inaugurated then will be consummated on the last day. Louis Burkhoff, the systematic theologian, he makes this point. He says, the Bible teaches us very explicitly that a catastrophe... A special intervention of God will bring the rule of Satan on earth to an end and will usher in the kingdom that cannot be shaken. There will be a crisis, a change so great that it can be called the regeneration, as he refers to in Matthew 19.28. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So there there is no peaceful coexistence with Satan came to destroy the works of the enemy but then what are we supposed to do because that's a practical question that's that's the question on everybody's mind how am i what am i supposed to do well we have it then in verse 9 of first peter 5 resist him resist him we're to resist like and i sure it seems obvious oh yeah of course you're supposed to resist satan Yeah, but when Satan's busy and you aren't looking to the Lord, you're not resisting anything. You're like, "Ah, I'm too tired to resist. I'm just going to go along. I'm just going to go along with what feels good. I'm just going to go along, go along, get along. I I, I just, I don't feel like fighting. I'm just going to go along with things. No resistance. Just let it all go. But Peter tells us how. Resist him. How? Because that's kind of how the the structure is. Resist him firm in your faith. Firm in your faith. In other words, just simply, I'm going to resist him by believing in Christ. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that you're not alone, that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Not just suffering just generic suffering. But the sufferings of what Satan is accusing them of. Every day, people being accused. Th- thoughts coming in their minds saying, oh, well, God doesn't love me anymore. All over the world. Christians thinking God doesn't love me anymore. God's, God's not for me. That's Satan's accusation. When, of course, oh, Jesus, God has said, no, I, in Christ you're declared just. You're my own. So there's others there in the same boat, but you're resisting him by faith. James says the same thing. James 4 and verse 6 to 8. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And what will he do? Flee from you. you just got to resist him. And he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he, that is God, will draw near to you. So do you see then that it is simply by trusting in the Lord, by faith, you actually are resisting. When you're not trusting in the Lord, you're actually then worrying and fussing and concerned about these accusations And then it puts you all off balance. And then you get hoodwinked into further and further distortions until you're swallowed up. Ephesians chapter 6 speaks of the shield of faith. What's its intention? It is then to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. It's by faith. It's actually looking to the Lord, leaning on the Lord, trusting in the Lord, trusting His promises, not what's going, not the words and lies and disinformation in your head. Trusting in God's Word. Resist the devil by faith in the Lord, by submitting to God, by drawing near to God. That's how you resist. It's not by invoking some some formula to denounce Satan or or, or think that, that by your formulaic prayer, that if you just kind of say this formula, then there's going to be this magical resistance. It's not faith and faith. The false teachers teach faith and faith. You're not trusting in your faith. You're not trusting in select words. You're trusting in the living God. And when you trust in the living God, you are resisting. You're resisting Satan. Satan. To not resist the devil, then, is to let your pride balloon, to indulge your pride, to focus more and more on yourself, to ignore God, to keep God out of your mind. And when you do that, you aren't resisting the devil. He will be just near enough to you, just near enough to keep you distant from God. But you can resist him. You can resist him by believing God and just trusting God's promises as you seek him. See, Satan's a bully. He's a coward. He'll run if you resist. But it's, it's not by resisting him on your own and your own strength because you're weak, right? And he is strong. But if you run to your champion, you run to your bodyguard, you run to your father, you run to the one who is strong, the devil's going to run. He's going to flee. He's a chicken. Just briefly then, let me just make a few applications for us before we and First, I, I think ignorance of Satan is part of, of all of our, everybody in Canada at least, all of our weak views of the supernatural. Uh, it's, 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 it's this secular, secularized thinking. You, you don't believe in supernatural acts, that there must only be materialistic, mechanistic means. Or it's this other thing where you get these caricatures of supernatural activity and you you think that that there's all this strange phenomenon and you're speculating about satanic activity when the Bible is clear about what's going on. There's all, like, I mean, if you want to sell books, just write one about Satan's activity and just, you know, speculate about a whole bunch of stuff. But it's not what the Bible says. These are wrong views of the activity. Of the supernatural, of God, his work, angels, Satan and his fallen angels, all of it in the world. When we have weak views of the supernatural, then we can't say and we can't see it that that evil is truly evil. Nor we can't see that good is truly good. And we'll tend to look for wrong solutions to our problems. And I think it's a big issue right now. It's a big issue in terms of the solutions that many of us, and myself included, are tempted to look for. We need to look to the Word of God. That's where we're going to find comfort and help. But that's the first thing. Weak views of the supernatural. But secondly, the spirit indwelling a Christian means that they cannot be possessed and indwelt by Satan. And yet, a Christian can be attacked by Satan. They can be powerfully deluded to embrace sin to promote the flesh and to turn temporarily from the Lord's way. All of us sin. Among Christians, there can be a season of backsliding, of sinning in this kind of obvious, grievous way. We call it a fall. Someone's had a fall. They're falling into sin. We're responsible for that. We're culpable. We're the ones who have offended God and sinned against Him. But our way out is to confess to God. It's not to somehow placate Satan. It's to confess to God. To repent, to turn from our sin. And you know, that's then where this verse applies. This verse we know so well. It's so satisfying. It's this verse that's a cool drink on a hot day. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Courtroom. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness and cleansing. That that is what a Christian goes to God for when they have been backsliding. We have to recognize as well that Satan has had, had a hand in our backsliding. Satan has been involved. Satan would trick us and tempt us and disorient us and twist us into a pretzel. Which is all the more reason then, friends, we must be reliant upon God. It's not only are we weak in the flesh, it's not just that our growth by the Spirit is still immature, but the fact that Satan actually wants to trip us up and he wants to trap us. So we need to be extra vigilant To seek the Lord in all humility and in neediness. Why do you come to church? Because somebody told you to? No, you come because you're needy. You're needy. If I was to characterize the Christian who falls into gross sin or deepening unbelief, it's the one who thinks that they're okay. That they know stuff. They've got a library. They've got lots of podcasts that they go to. They got lots of liberty to do a lot of things that might be gray areas. Who might be, might be spotty in their attendance at church, prayer meetings, at Bible studies. But more so, it's those who are less and less transparent with other Christians about what is really going on inside of them. And frequently such folks are in danger of falling into sexual immorality or, I would say, developing deep bitterness you know both of these come from fleshly passions that have gone unchecked satan would deceive a christian who starts looking for love in all the wrong places satan would also deceive a christian to think that people are out to get them or make their life miserable by all kinds of motives that don't really exist that's kind of what happens in churches Well, both do As Hebrews 12 says, in the context of bitterness and sexual immorality, verse 15 says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Many of the deconversion stories we've heard in the last number of years, they're actually people who let themselves indulge their sin And they didn't realize that Satan was entrapping them and seeking to devour them in one gulp. That's actually what was going on. So friends, let's be clear then about the devil we know. The devil wants to make us do things. We're responsible for our sin, yes, but he wants to make us do things. But know that the devil and his works are thrown down by Jesus Christ even our returning champion, our King and our Savior. That is what we need to be focused on. Christ's rule and reign and his triumph over this adversary. And that God says to you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation from God or all these accusations from Satan and men. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I ask that you would help us to believe you. To believe that there is no condemnation even though this enemy would spread all kinds of accusations and lies about us. Help us to stop believing Satan and help us to believe in you. Increase our faith, we pray. Help our unbelief. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing to the living God together. Please rise. Yes, we're in a war. We're in a battle. You need to be aware of it. Foul eye to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. We're in a battle. But even as God has promised us in his word, after you have suffered a little while in this battle, The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself act. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Go in peace.